God's Juicy Booty. Chicka bow wow. I'm Rob Tarswell. Take my daughters, please. I'm Joe Fulgham. Tetragrammaton says, Jews, let's roll. I'm Kevin Leeson. I swear on Abraham's testicles, this will be a blasphemous podcast. I'm Torin Atkinson. Hey, it's Caustic Soda. Caustic soda. Take it, Kevin. Joe. Doop. And once again, our very special guest, Dr. Rob Tarswell. Take it. Bringing no special expertise, just a lot of bile. <laughs> Excellent. We'll need extra bile tonight. Yeah. Oh, and some squeaky chairs. What's our topic today, Joe? Jehovah. Now, Jehovah, I, Jehovah. Now, when, when I was researching this topic, yes. I read somewhere basically that Jehovah was pretty much an anglicization of a bunch of the Hebrew words and that it's not really a proper term for uh, an Old Testament God. It was, it, the word Jehovah was an invention, apparently. We've all seen Indiana Jones and the Holy Grail, so... <laughs> yeah. We know that the true name of <laughs> Hebrew God is Yahweh, yeah. spelt well, only with four letters, the Y-H. Yes, the Tetragrammaton. The Tetragrammaton, the four, which is which, the which actually name le- for, means four letters. But it sounds like a transformer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> sounds like something. Tetragrammaton, transform, <laughs> merge to form. Shape of universe. <laughs> or Holy Grail. That would have been awesome if Indiana Jones picked it up and it got... Oh, my God, it's Tetragrammaton. <laughs> he starts running from Tetragrammaton, right? The walls are collapsing around him. Thanks to Michael Bay, all it does is hump his leg. Yep. Now, now, you would think... But the Tetragrammaton, the most likely meaning of this name was he brings into existence whatever exists. Now, you might wonder, on a podcast like Caustic Soda, where we talk about gruesome and gory things, what could we possibly have to talk about the benevolent and almighty and wonderful... Old Testament. Old Testament God. God. Yeah, the, well, the the man in the robes and the big white beard. Let me tell you, I got some <laughs> choice ones. Do you guys know what the fear of God or gods is? It's not godophobia. It's not that hard. Uh, think, think, think of your Latin. Think uh, of your Greek. Um, uh, uh, deophobia. De- that's what I was thinking of. I was going to say demiphobia. Uh, Theophobia is Theophobia. the fear of gods or religion, whereas mm. Zeusophobia is the fear of God or gods. I Zeusophobia. I could have very well said Zeusophobia as <laughs> a joke. Instead of godophobia. That, yeah, instead yeah. of godophobia. And that would have been right. It sounds like a joke. Let's briefly, briefly talk about the Bible. Oh, well, shouldn't we talk about why Dr. Rob Tarswell is here with us? Oh, sure. Today? Let's do that. Well, I can't say I have any special expertise here other than having been officially born again, TM, for about 13 years and uh, dedicated myself to obsessive study of the minutia of scripture. So uh, from what uh, tender young age did that all begin? That started around age 13, actually after reading a fantastic novel called Childhood's End by Arthur C. Clarke which I commend to you all, although it may result in religious conversion. <laughs> Beware. It's not a benign book. You know, it's interesting. I, I grew up in Chilliwack, which is, you know, basically one of the more religious parts of British Columbia. I believe while we were growing up, Chilliwack had the highest number of churches per capita in North America. No, almost. Abbotsford does. It does now, but while we were growing up uh, in the early 80s. And in my teenage years, I specifically stayed away from reading anything about religion because I was worried that I was going to be converted. Oh, wow. Because I saw all these religious people around me who I hated. I uh, <laughs> didn't I, want to take that even risk that I would become like that. 
I was baptized Catholic, and uh, I did my catechism. And what is a catechism? It's basically Catholic school where okay. they teach you how to be a Catholic and why we're this. Catholic and all the rest of this stuff. I remember having a moment of clarity in the middle of catechism. In, in between being drunk? We started the conversation about transubstantiation, and they were... Tra- it transubstantiation sounds like something you'd get at your mechanics for $400. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it is, in <laughs> fact, when the wine turns into the blood of Christ right before you drink it and where the, oh, the little okay. wafer turns into the body of Christ as soon as it touches your tongue... And, you know, they were saying this unironically, that this is yeah, actually yeah, yeah, what yeah. happens. Yeah. And that if you're a good Catholic, you believe that this is actually what happens. It doesn't taste like Jesus' yeah, blood. You have the faith. You have faith that that's actually what's right. happening. And it was at that moment in time when I was seven or eight years old that I realized that this is like voodoo magic and it's all a pile of duty. It's a, <laughs> and that I didn't believe any of it. That if this is what they actually believed, that the whole house of cards came down around me right at that moment. Transubstantiation is what made yeah. me lapse as a Catholic. Wow, that's you, you didn't want to eat your God's flesh and drink his blood? <laughs> this is, actually, transubstantiation should have been a subsection in our cannibal episode. <laughs> I guess so. Uh, when I was 10, I did believe in God, but I was having a crisis of faith insofar as I said to God, if you don't give me superpowers by the time I'm 11, <laughs> I'm going to stop believing in you. <laughs> Got down on your knees at the side of your bed, prayed like I don't even know if I, I don't know if I prayed. I just kind of just in my head. Oh, if said, you don't look, God. Hey, if you don't steeple the fingers, you want me to believe in you. I'm going to have to have some like laser eyes or something. <laughs> if you don't, <laughs> or hey, super strength. If you don't kneel down next to the bed and steeple your fingers, he's he ain't listening. That's it was it was method so delivery. You got it all wrong. Oh, I guess so. Yeah. But anyway, I became an atheist at the age of eleven. Uh, also, being raised mostly in Chilliwack, I believed simply because you know that's what you were raised to do. Like I, do you believe in God? Of course, I. Believe, what does that question even mean? I didn't know what it meant. Uh, didn't really know many atheists except for those people, right? And then just one day, uh, and I remember friends br- who would bring me to church because they were worried I didn't go to church regularly. But I'm like, well, I believe in God, and he's everywhere, so it's okay, right? And no, you got to come to my church and go to, like, religious rock concerts and stuff like that. And if I may point out in the interests of public honesty, you did go forward at a Billy Graham evangelistic <laughs> event and receive Jesus. I did. And I dragged you along to that event, so I'm, yeah. I'm t- <laughs> the shame is widespread. <laughs> and, and the whole point of it was I was like, well, yeah, there's of course there's a God because everybody thinks there's a God. Like, I didn't even analyze that belief. And then one day a friend of mine just said something as simple as, well, but of course there is no God. That's just ridiculous right. when you look at it. And I kind of went, oh, that is kind of ridiculous. Wow, And Joe, like from then it just, that was it. I just realized Joe is really malleable. No force of will whatsoever. Joe, you need to empty your bank account to my bank account. Oh, of okay. Course, That's just the, of course. Everybody's yeah. doing it. So, yeah. So, this podcast is not going to be about whether or not there is a God or uh, anything like that. It's just going to be about what are the worst aspects of the Christian almighty creator. And we're, we're, we're pretty much sticking to Old Testament. This is We're going with the, the guy. It's definitely the, the most uh, dramatic. Yeah. The, so, we're going to come to it, come to the table with the assumption that he exists. And that everything in the Bible actually happened. Sure, why and not? That's where we're going to start from. That's our jumping off. Point. I think so. We know that God is a jealous God. He will not permit his people to make idols or follow gods of other nations. And this is, I think, epitomized in one of my favorite parts of the Bible, Deuteronomy. It's a funny sounding name. Deuter- for a book. Deuteronomy. That could be part of the Big Lebowski. If yeah, there were a book written about uh, Jeff Bridges, it would be Deuteronomy. If your own full brother or your son or daughter or your beloved wife or your intimate friend entices you secretly to serve other gods whom you and your fathers have not known, gods of any other nations, near at hand or far away, from one end of the earth to the other, do not yield to him or listen to him, 
nor look with pity upon him, to spare or shield him, but kill him. Your hand shall be the one shall be the first race to slay him. The rest of the people shall join in with you. You shall stone him to death, because he sought to lead you astray from the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that place of slavery. Brings a, a whole other meaning to the word get stoned, man. If you're a blood, don't join the crypts. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's a big part of God's message, really, is, hey, hey, hey no, 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 I'm the one God. Da, 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 da. Like, you look at the Ten Commandments, and, like, four, the first four are, you better do what I say, and I'm real, and don't follow any other gods, and don't have uh, a religious idol, and keep the Sabbath holy. Yeah. It's almost like there's other gods out there, and he doesn't want you to yeah. do anything about them. Exactly. <laughs> Zeus is walking by. He's strolling by, throwing some lightning. <clears throat> that Zeus guy, all he's going to do is turn into a bull and, like, uh, and hump your wife. And hump your wife. Yeah. Like, you don't, you don't want to follow that guy. Yeah. Here's another choice quote, also from Deuteronomy. Suppose you hear in one of the towns the Lord your God is giving you that some worthless rabble among you have led their fellow citizens astray by encouraging them to worship foreign gods. Uh, if you find it is true uh, that such a detestable act has occurred, you must attack that town and completely destroy all its inhabitants as well as all the livestock. Then you must pile all the plunder in the middle of the street and burn it. Put the entire town to the torch as a burnt offering to God. That town you must ruin forever. It may never be rebuilt. Keep none of the plunder that has been set apart for destruction. Wow, what did the livestock do? I mean... <laughs> They or the children, to God. Yeah. or the guys in the town that said, "Don't do that, man. They're going to come and wreck our town." No, no, you got to destroy those guys too because yeah. they're in that town. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, uh, pretty extreme. Yeah, just like moo hack slash. You're ungodly because you were in that town. Well, that's just one of the many atrocities in the Old Testament. Testify. I like the fact testify is a word based on you swear <laughs> you swear to tell the truth on your balls. What? That testimony, when you gave testimony in the uh, in the old school courts, like way back in those days, you actually there was no Bible to swear on; they hadn't written it yet, so you would swear on your testes. Yeah, so I'm making that up. No, I'm telling the total truth. You would swear to tell the truth by your balls. I thought it came from the word testament. Testimonies from testicles, man. I'm telling you. I think you're drunk. No, this is in fact the case that you swore to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So, so help, help you, my balls. So help you balls. The new Oxford American Dictionary etymologists are said to insist that the origin of testify is the Latin testificari, or testis, which means witness. Yeah, witness on my balls. <laughs> okay, Kevin. <laughs> Speaking of balls, should we touch briefly on rape in the Bible? Only briefly? It's a sensitive topic, I know. But here's another uh, quote from my favorite, Deuteronomy. This is not going to be an entire podcast of me just quoting the Bible, but I just want to get this out of the way. If a man is caught in the act of raping a, go a young woman who is not engaged, he must pay 50 pieces of silver to her father. Then he must marry the young woman because he violated her, and he will never be allowed to divorce her. Well, that sounds fair enough. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did you That's read the part about if she gets raped in the city? If she gets raped in the city, then she is uh, guilty because she didn't cry out for help. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then you got to stone her. That's right. Stone the rape victim. Because she didn't cry out for help when she could have when mm. she was in the city. Here's a line from uh, Isaiah 13, verses 15 through 16. Everyone that is found shall be thrust through, and everyone that is joined unto them shall fall by the sword. Their children also shall be dashed to pieces before their eyes. Their houses shall be spoiled, and their wives ravished. Ravished. Go get them, boys. So we've been talking just of towns being sacked and plundered and so forth. What about Noah's flood? Oh, you got to wash the world clean. Basically, uh, the world's all dirty. So there's a lot of sinners. It's the ultimate, uh, I'm going to wash your mouth out with soap. 
<laughs> mouth being replaced with the world. planet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mouth being replaced with planet, soap with deluge. And that's how the unicorns went, according to the Irish rovers. That's right. And uh, and actually not wanted on the voyage by... Uh, oh. Timothy Finley? Timothy Finley. Fantastic book. Although in it, Noah's not a nice guy. It's Noah's wife, actually, oh. that is the hero of the story, and she... Tries to save everybody, all the animals from sacrifice. So was it even was it even God's idea to put all the animals? It must have been an instruction oh, yeah, yeah. from God no, to put all the animals. Yeah, on Yeah, God shows up in a limo, basically. Yeah, uh, and uh, here, the, take these parasites. Don't forget those. Yeah, exactly. Tells uh, Noah to, <laughs> to get to work and take the Greenland shark eye parasite. It was probably fine from a flood. Pretty fish, yeah. <laughs> Apparently, the fish were without sin. Yeah, <laughs> they were okay, free from sin, but not the giraffes. Yeah. Well, maybe the giraffes survived because it wasn't a really deep flood. That's well, giraffes right. back in those days were maybe they instantly evolved hundreds maybe they had, of cubits tall. <laughs> maybe they had maybe they had very short necks, and God allowed them to evolve really long necks to survive the flood. Oh, yeah. No, no, created created, created long well, necks. Yeah, well, no God, evolution. God could make them evolve. Right? Yeah, well, the interesting part about the flood is that there's a flood myth in pretty much every religion known worldwide, even in different parts of the world where they didn't talk to one another. So. It's because there's floods everywhere. No, but a very similar flood, like the Babylonians, the Gilgamesh flood mm-hmm. myth is pretty much identical to the Christian one. This is this is called, you played telephone, right? Yeah, um, did you hear about Noah? Yeah, his whole farm got flooded. Uh, he managed to save a, a couple of his animals by putting it on like a raft he built. Uh, that entire valley he was in got flooded. Wow, that's pretty amazing. Papa Noah, 20 years ago, he's just passed on, but we're his descendants, and then they right. tell their kids, yeah, yeah the it, entire country was flooded, and Noah saved several animals, and then many years later... And the entire world was flooded, and Noah saved two of every single animal in the entire world. It's nothing like storytelling through the oral tradition exactly. before written language. And then they wrote it down at the point where it was entire world. Of course, if God is omnipowerful, omnipotent, oh, there omnipotent. You go. <laughs> he has control of all natural disasters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So any floods, any hurricanes, any tsunamis... Well, yeah, I mean, if we're coming to the equation that everything that happened in the Bible actually happened, I mean, in the Bible, he calls it. It says, I'm going to do it. The Lord is slow to get angry, but his power is great, and he never lets the guilty go unpunished. He displays his power in the whirlwind and the storm. The billowing clouds are the dust beneath his feet. At his command, the oceans and rivers dry up, the lush pastures of Besham and Carmel fade, and the green forests of Lebanon will. Yeah, so drought as well as intense storms. And I recently listened to an interesting uh, TED Talk you guys know about TED Talks, don't you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Love fantastic. What does, what does TED stand for? I don't even know. Technology, the, Education, and Design. Technology, Entertainment, Design. Oh, oh entertainment. Okay. Uh, Anyway, the pastor of a cathedral in the UK, uh, his name was Tom Honey. He talked about uh, his crisis of faith after the tsunami in 2004. And it's very interesting. I'd recommend uh, listening to that. Was he a beekeeper by trade? A beekeeper? His last name was Honey. Oh, yeah, right. I get it. Back, well, the English tradition that everybody would actually be named after what they did. That's why there's like, you know, <laughs> Mr. Farmer and yeah, Mr. Maybe. Milner and Coopers. Ancestors. Yeah, Coopers, exactly. Haberdashers? I don't know. Maybe <laughs> yeah, Mr. Haberdasher. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he talked about, uh, you know, what kind of a god is this god that we worship? Is he someone who is in active control of the world or is he just kind of a passive guy who watches everything happen? And yeah, if you go to Old Testament, he's pretty active. Definitely. He's pretty up to his eyeballs and mm-hmm. stabbing people in the eye and pushing people down stairs and stuff. So what's the transition between the Old Testament and the New Testament? Why was there an Old Testament and then there was a New Testament? And uh, was there a transition of how God, what kind of a figure God was in between the two? Well, the Old Testament would essentially be the scriptures that, uh, say, the Jews would recognize. Uh, as like the, the Torah? Their own, 
Yeah, well, the Torah would be the first five books of the Bible. The New Testament would essentially be the recordings of the deeds and teachings of Christ and the early apostles. Was it uh, the New Testament that introduced the idea of hell? It certainly fleshed it out in a very robust and hideous fashion. Oh, There's okay. little little glimmers or hints of it in the Old Testament. It seemed to me that the Old Testament hell was really when you got God angry at you. He yeah, like God, kill you, and that was the end. Yeah, mm-hmm. God took a more active role, or turn in the you Old into, and turn you into a pillar of salt or something horrible yeah, like that. Yeah, and for and daring need... to turn around, <laughs> look over your shoulder. In uh, I think in um, Isaiah, there's reference to a general resurrection and uh, kind of a dividing into um, those that God loves, and they get to hang out with Him. The bloods, and then there's the uh, some who are resurrected to shame and contempt. Which isn't great, but it's not the worst thing in the world. Uh, oh no, here I am being contempted eternally. <laughs> you can just hear God go. <laughs> I'm sure after a millennia that would get really, really painful. Well, isn't it the Mormons? The Mormons think that there's only so many spots in heaven, right? Is that the Mormons? Jehovah Witnesses? Jehovah's Witnesses. That's the same thing, right? <laughs> sure. That's right. Yeah, same thing. In Mormonism, you get to become a god. There's uh, the idea in Mormonism is, as we are, God once was, as God is, we may become. Mm -hmm. And then you get to become a god, get your own solar system or universe, and populate it with all your heavenly children. And then you can tell Abraham to bring his son up to the mountain and to sacrifice him to to yourself. It's like Battlestar Galactica without the spaceships. Mormonism. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yes. It is. But I like that story about uh, about Abraham, uh, and then uh, at the last minute, the angel comes down and says, "I was only a test. We were only fucking with you." Uh, just how does a joke. he know that it just wasn't kidding. like? How does he know that it wasn't like his buddy, like talking from a bush, doing a joke? <laughs> uh, doesn't uh, doesn't Bill Cosby? Yeah, do... pretty much. <laughs> it's the Lord Noah. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. God communicates in wonderful, strange fashion. It was the the burning bush was Moses, right? Burning bush was Moses. Yeah, what was he smoking in that bush before it got lit <laughs> on fire? What what is it about Moses seeing God's eyes? What's the story there? Oh, this is a good one. So uh, I actually have a a reading prepared because it just wouldn't do to paraphrase this. (laughs) (laughs) Wouldn't do it justice. From uh, the book of Exodus, chapter 33. And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. And he said, I beseech thee, shew me thy glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. And will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will shew mercy on whom I will shew mercy. And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock, and it shall come to pass, while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in a cliff of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I will take away mine hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. <laughs> That's kinky. Wow, so God is that in one hand he's given Moses the VIP pass. He said, Don't look at my face, but look here. <laughs> Check out my hind parts. To pull down my god pants. Well, Speaking sorry. of plagues. <laughs> <laughs> like the plague of bad comedy. Uh let's do a pop quiz. Okay. Oh. Name the plagues of Egypt. Locusts. Yeah. Weren't the frogs? Frogs. Killing the, of the firstborn son. Is that firstborn son? Count as the last plague. plague. Yeah, That's that was the Passover. Last that's three. It was the plague of, was it blood or flood? Yeah, no, yeah no, blood. Blood. The blood of blood. The river blood turned to blood. Yeah, the river ah. turned to blood. Okay. And there was, uh, there was dust, wasn't there? There was a big dust storm. Isn't that one of them? No? There's yeah. uh, Celine Dion. They made, a, <laughs> they made everybody listen to Celine Dion sing. Uh, 
My heart will go on. So the whole reason for the plagues was to convince the Pharaoh to let the Hebrew slaves right. go. Yeah, the turning let the staff into the snake didn't do it. Right? Go. right. Turning turning the staff to the snake wasn't enough. So we got the plague of blood. We got the plague of frogs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We got the plague of lice. Oh, lice. And the plague of flies. Uh-huh. And the plague of livestock death. Okay. Mm. Followed by the plague of boils. Uh, Let's not I forget, forget about boils. And mm-hmm. then the plague of hail. And then the plague of crickets. And yeah. then the plague of darkness. And then the plague of the death of the first one. Oh, yeah, darkness. That's a good one, too. Yeah, we, we've had the plague of Susan Boyle these days. And the best part about all that <laughs> is in a private chat with Moses, God said, well, actually, I hardened Pharaoh's heart, so he wasn't going to let you go anyway. So I mean, oh, everybody forgets that part of the story. God just wanted to like fuck with the Egyptians, as right. far as I could tell. Yeah, oh, crazy. What a so dick. he said Moses. Oh, hold on. Let me get this straight. Let me. I, I need clarification here because I don't remember that part of the story. He says to Moses, "Go to Pharaoh and tell him that if he doesn't let your people go, we'll bring plagues upon him to prove that God exists." And then he tells Moses afterwards. Yeah, I snuck into Moses's uh, brain or the Pharaoh's brain in the middle of the night. And I convinced him to never let your people go. So he created an untenable situation. It's awesome to be God. You get to be like an angry drunk all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Will you look at some other God? Huh? Fuck you. <laughs> Teach you to look at some other God. <laughs> Super son of show the back of my hand. And now, of course, the modern plague of... No archaeological evidence for any of these plagues. <laughs> That's the worst plague of all. God's magic. He can get rid of evidence. And he can also plant evidence in the form of dinosaur bones. Well, I was always intrigued by the idea that uh, God does all the good stuff and Satan does all the bad stuff. But God created Satan. He was right. an angel. And so. as, we're, as we're finding out now, God does a lot of bad stuff. It's true. Uh, the people of Samaria must bear the consequences of their guilt because they rebelled against their God. This is uh, from uh, Hosea. Is that how you pronounce it? Hosea. 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 Pardon me. <laughs> they will be killed by an invading army. Their little ones dashed to death against the ground. Their pregnant women ripped open by swords. Ooh. And then in Psalms, happy those who seize your children and smash them against a rock. How very Charles Manson of him. Happy. Study your Bible. Get to know it. Get to know the love of God. And obey. So one of my favorite and most charming episodes of uh, what not to do is don't piss off God's peeps. Elisha was a prophet of God in Israel. And one day was walking along a path and was getting teased about being bald by some kids who essentially were saying, hey, Baldy, get going, get going, Baldy. And I guess Elijah was a bit of a thin-skinned kind of guy because he called bears out of the forest who then proceeded <laughs> to maul, destroy, and eat the children. That's right. Two she-bears out of the wood she-bears. And, and tear 40 and two children of them. 42 children to pieces for yeah. calling him, hey, move along, Baldy? That, that's a prophet wisely using the power <laughs> that God has bestowed on him. <laughs> it sounds like a, an animated Flash cartoon on the internet that somebody would just hobble together. Elijah versus children. Yeah, how did he justify this? Did he, like, say, oh, if you basically, if you step to me, you step to God? If you dishonor me in any way, shape, or form, that's an affront to God? And He didn't justify it. He didn't. Didn't oh. say a damn thing about it. Really? He just carried on. The next went, line is, and he went from thence to Mount Carmel, and from <laughs> thence he returned to, to Samaria. That's that, it. The very next line. Yep. He called forth two she-bears to maul forty and two children. <laughs> and he turned back and looked on them and cursed them in the name of the Lord. 
And there came forth two she-bears out of the wood, and tear, T-A-R-E, so I'm not sure if that's an old version of T-E-A-R or what, uh-huh. and tear forty and two children of them. I thought it was, it, was a, it was against God's judgment to curse people in the name of the Lord. I guess Elijah had an exemption. And as you can see, pro-life's a fairly modern concept that <laughs> yeah. American evangelical Christians have uh, taken to. Putting the sword to the women and ripping out the uh, contents of the uterus. Yeah, for That's sure. That's A-okay. Well, the one, three children in the land of Israel. Shack, rack, me, shack, a baby go. Took a little trip to the land of Babylon. Shack, rack, me, shack, a baby go. Nebuchadnezzar was a king of Babylon. Shack, rack, me, shack, a baby go. He took a lot of gold and he made him an idol. Shack, rack, me, shack, a baby go. And he told everybody when you hear the music of the cornet. Oh, yeah. And he told everybody when you hear the music of the flute. Oh, Lord. And he told everybody when you hear the music of the harp. Great call, then you got to bow down to worship the idol. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. But the children of Israel would not bow down. Now you couldn't fool them with a golden idol. I said you couldn't fool them with a golden idol. So the king put the children in a fire furnace. Great carving and heaped on a coal of red hot brimstone. Lord, he made it seven times hotter, hotter than it ought to be. So the great book says, even threw in the soldiers that the king had put there. But the good Lord has sent out an angel He gave him a cup full of wings When he went on down into the middle of the furnace And began to cool the flames Well then the children all got happy They went strutting back to the fire Just a walking and a talking about the power of the gospel When it's hot upon the Lord And I had a big time in the land of Babylon Shadrach, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego I, I just want to point out that evidence has been presented that uh, may indicate that I was right about swearing on balls. In fact, it gets even better. <laughs> the devil, you say. I do. Gets even better. Evidently, Abraham forced his servant to swear to tell the truth on not his own balls, but on Abraham's balls. That's right. In Genesis 24, 2-9, we read of how Abraham instructed his chief servant to, quote, place his hand under his thigh, end quote, and swear an oath. This oath was an important one because it indicated that Abraham's covenantal son, Isaac, should marry a monotheist and not one of the idolatrous Canaanite women. This oath under the thigh secured the monotheistic tradition of the of the Abraham's descendants. I like being right. I like being right more than just about anything else in the world. Well, it's also pointed out that uh, while this is true and may be one of the sources of the word, that the Latin root really is the same word for witnesses and is, of course, older than that or not related to that. So it's possible that you're right. I, I just now think of how interesting courthouse proceedings would be these days if you're still forced to swear on somebody else's balls. Well, Abraham's balls. Yeah. For starters, and put you put, corpse balls. Oh yeah, maybe they just would have like balls in a in a in a jar with formaldehyde, and you just so I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help these balls. I think I'd rather pinky swear. Job. Uh, Job. I don't know. I don't know the story. I don't know the story either. Does anybody know the story of Job? Can you help us out with the story, Doctor Robin? Yeah. So Job was a righteous man of God. 
God was bragging to Satan one day, saying, you know, look at my servant Job and how much he loves me. And Satan says essentially, well, of course he loves you. You bless him. You know, you give him thousands of sheep and cattle ranging over the land. He's got these wonderful, obedient kids. You know, let me smack him around a little bit. I bet I can make him turn on you. Ooh, oh. a bet. And then God says, go for it. <laughs> He's not like, hey, man, lay off my buddy, yeah, Job. He's been right. perfectly fine no, all this time. No, the angry drunk wants the test. He wants to really know. <laughs> You're kidding. He totally loves me no matter what. Then Satan inflicts increasingly difficult trials on Job. The first one is that sort of at a family feast, uh, the roof collapses, killing all of Job's kids. And ha, 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 what do you think of that, Job? And Job still praises and blesses the Lord. God says, there, see? And Satan says, no, no, just getting started, just getting started. And uh, (laughs) Wiping out his whole family is step one. That's right, right. Just rolling up his sleeves. Oh, come on, that was an easy one. And then wipes out his livestock uh, with some terrible... Infectious I disease. love the fact in the Old Testament that wiping out his kids was less of a trial than wiping out his livestock. I guess you could always have more kids, right? Livestock <laughs> is expensive. Well, it's funny you should mention that, but we'll talk about that towards the end of the story. And then, uh, you know, it's, it's getting so bad that even Job's wife comes up to him and says, Come on, Job. Curse God. You know you want to. Curse God. <laughs> oh, I see. Again, so the, she, the lady, the, the temptress in the house, the femme right. fatale so in this the, story. The response to all this was, come on, Job, use some salty language. But And then oh, finally, okay. it's the plague of boils. So Job's friends have all turned on him by now, saying, you must have deeply offended God. Look at all these things that have happened to you, right? And his wife has turned on him, and he's covered in boils, and his cows are dead and his children are dead and Job doesn't curse God he curses the day of his birth wishes he'd never been born well God doesn't like that very much and God comes down from heaven in a whirlwind and puts all these questions to Job tell me if you can who made the foundations of the earth and who causes the Leviathan to rise up out of the sea huh huh come on tell me tell me huh tell me if you can Mr. Smart Guy (laughs) cursing the day of your birth guy huh and uh, ultimately, Job apologizes for cursing the day of his birth. <laughs> and God says, you're all right. You're all right. You're okay, Cures man. him of the plague of boils. And he has a bunch more children, yeah. uh, even more than he had the first time. Doesn't bring back and the he, dead children. Even though. more. No, no, no. But he has more children. No right? zom- Better no, ones. Yeah. No zombie children in this yeah. story. That's right. And even more cattle. And his reputation is magnified even more greatly through the land. And he, fi- he fist bumps Job and they go about their business. So uh, the question is, you know, who won the bet? Was it God or Satan? You know, what does it mean when Job curses the day of his birth? I think, it was, I think the bet was a draw. Technically, you'd have to look at the wording of the wager, right? Because he's like, <laughs> if I can get him to curse, then Satan won. If I can get him to curse God, then God won. And if I can get him to, like, get off his game, then, then yeah, probably it's a draw. It's like a Ned Flanders kind of cursing a guy. Like, yeah. Oh, Fiddle gee willikers, yeah. Fiddlesticks. <laughs> I wish I was never born. And, yeah. I'm, what about the Sodom and Gomorrah deal, uh, yo? Oh, with the angels visiting. We all know the story about Lot's wife looking back and getting turned into a pillar of salt like, right. as the whole thing's being destroyed, right? Like, that that's the in Sodom and Gomorrah, the sodomizing and the Gomorrizing, right? And, uh, <laughs> the Gomorrizing. Yeah, you know what? Isn't how that come, where Gamorrean guards come from? How Return come, of the Jedi. How come there's no? How, how come there's sodomizing, but there's no Gamora rising? There isn't anymore. It was wiped out. There's gonorrhea. <laughs> you don't, don't want to. Yeah, it died with Gamora. That's right. No more anal sex anywhere. Yeah. it's gone now. That's yeah. right. <laughs> Whew, good job, God. Lot was a righteous man in this unrighteous town. So he was the one might say 
the strong pillar of righteousness. Right. Uh, (laughs) Ironic. That'll come back to haunt him. Yes, indeed. And uh, God sends a couple of angels down saying, uh, you know, Lot, uh, we're going to nuke this from orbit. You better get the hell out of here. And uh, these insatiable sodomizers are beating down Lot's door saying, hey, you've got some pretty boys in there. We'd like to get to know them in the biblical sense. Yes. And Lot says, no, no, you couldn't do that. Please take my daughters. Do with them as you wish. But don't harm my right. guests. There so Lot's clearly following in the steps of uh, the Tetragrammaton at that point. Yes. Yeah, it certainly foreshadows many of the things that have happened in the Catholic Church. Of late. Now, do we also know what happened after his wife was turned into a pillar of salt? Oh, <laughs> yes, the final punchline. <laughs> yeah. He and his two daughters uh, retired to a cave in an adjacent mountain, and uh, Genesis 19, verses 30 to 38 uh, describes... His daughters being freshly raped and all? Yeah. Lot's daughters, who were in their mind to... In their mind, were taking responsibility to bear children to preserve Lot's family line, got Lot drunk and had sex with him so that they on two consecutive nights, so they both got pregnant. Hmm. Wow. And that's how a righteous man of God perpetuates the family that's line. Right. Yeah, for a little uh, hemophilia and three-eyed babies to follow. Holy three-eyed babies. <laughs> Super holy so and righteous. He, he was the righteous, incestuous drunkard. You ever think maybe Lot just, like, offed his wife and then stuck it on God's shoulders? Like, hey, God did that, man. We just started walking, riding away in where's, our cart. And a, I was left with my tasty daughters in the cave all by her lonesome. She lonesomes. was a pillar of salt when I found her. Yeah, the, my wife, the, this... Pillar salt here. That's my wife. God, God turned her into this. See all that salt in the back of the, of, in the back of the uh, the carriage. Yeah, yeah. That's my wife. God did it. That's For miles it. around, Lot was known as the man who could make the tastiest soup. Had an <laughs> abundant supply of salt. <laughs> So who's seen Ben Hur? <laughs> ben Hur? I see. It, I watch it every Christmas, man. I can't get enough of it. Do you, I love are, you, that. are you really? I really do. I watch oh. uh, every Christmas. I love the. Uh, I love the chariots. I don't know if I've seen it all the way through. What? Yeah, the chariots yeah, and the slave either. ship. No, I haven't. Oh my god! It's, it's one. Of, it's one of those movies that I'm like, I really should watch that movie. But I just yeah, and it's on every year at Christmas. It's not that you can go. Ah, oh, it hasn't been on TV for years. I'm too busy watching Sound of Music. The hills are alive. <laughs> and, and It's a Wonderful Life. I mean, come on, you've got to watch that at least five times every I Christmas. Hate it's a Wonderful Life. I'm a Christmas it. story guy myself. Ben Hur is fantastic, right? You know, a Christian story. Does God do nasty things in it? Yeah, no, uh, no real appearance of God. It's more like Ben Hur's story. It's his trials, right? If you want to get like actual participation of God and Charlton Heston, yeah. you've got to go to the Ten Commandments. Well, let's do. <laughs> let's toddle on over there to the Ten Commandments. And when he came down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments in, in hand and uh, all the Jews were down below worshiping Baal and dancing and drinking and having a good time, that kind of, he can't, kind of came across like a party pooper. And then with the whole Red Sea debacle. Like the extra who has the Timex on? You ever seen those freeze frames? <laughs> no, I haven't. All the, uh, when he parts the Red Seas, all, all, the, all the Jews raise their hands in celebration and one of the extras was still wearing his Timex. Awesome. So if you watch the freeze frame, you can totally see a watch. <laughs> it's a miracle! <laughs> It's a if only Timex had figured out how to like capitalize on that like product placement in yeah, a big budget movie, exactly. right? And he's kind of like you know right at the bottom of the frame, so his arms are like right there up front center. He's got to watch on. You know, uh, actually, one of my favorite movies that it doesn't really feature God, but Godly, yeah. the prophecy, the prophecy with Eric Stoltz and oh, uh, I haven't seen it back in the nineties. Fantastic. Eric Stoltz comes down, a, uh, an angel to warn people about the uh, the coming of the Lord, the uh-huh. end of days. And? 
Uh, Elias Coteus, one a really great Canadian actor, plays a detective who is uh, you know sort of gets swept up in the whole thing, and Satan shows up, and he's trying to. Is, is Christopher Walker in that? Christopher Walken. Okay, I have seen it. Oh Christopher yes, Walken the prophecy. Yeah. yeah, it's fantastic. Really entertaining. I didn't find it to be so. Really interesting. I thought it was uh, middling. I thought it was interesting and and kind of fresh uh, in that there weren't other movies that kind of did this, but I don't know if it succeeded all that well. Well, I haven't seen that movie Legion, but I, gu- I guarantee it's better than that. I yeah. hear Legion's pretty stinky. As far as angels coming to Earth and, and trying to get out in front of the end of days. What about Life of Brian, then? Uh, excellent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, fantastic, right? You have to even ask? Come on. Well, i got to bring it up. Yeah, no, it's uh, very literate. Like a lot of uh, having all these messiahs in and around that era was actually quite historically accurate, from mm-hmm. what I understand. Mm-hmm. You know, we think it comes across like a spoof, like they're making fun of this one messiah. But from what I've read after the fact, that there was a lot of that messianic kind of language going around, and a lot of people trying to cull followers and I am the son of God kind of stuff. But was there a people's Judea in front? <laughs> no, but there was a Judea in front of the people of. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's full frontal nudity, full frontal Judean nudity in the movie. That's true. Yeah. It's got that going for it. <laughs> Apparently, we can see the Son of God's glory and live. The, yeah, we don't have to see just his backside. His glory hole. <laughs> his holiest of holies. There's a short movie, actually, made by a, written and directed by a director named Hal Hartley, who's one of my personal all-time favorites, and he did a short film called The Book of Life, which starred Martin Donovan and P.J. Harvey. Martin Donovan played Jesus, and P.J. Harvey played Mary Magdalene, and they, uh, they show up in a bar where Satan's having a couple of drinks, and Satan evidently has the option to start the rapture anytime that he wants, is the premise of the plot. Okay. And so, yeah, Jesus and Mary Magdalene join him in a bar to try and talk him out of uh, ending the planet, bringing about the rapture. You know, how hardly it's all about you know, dialogue and character, like all those movies like that. And it's a really interesting movie I really enjoyed. Did they get him drunk and sleep with him? Yeah, he wakes up and like the key or what, the book of life is gone because P.J. Harvey absconded with it in the night. That would have been a fantastic way to end it, actually. A one-night stand, tempting Satan in a new and original way. It's kind of hard to think of movies where God actually is like being kind of Old Testament God. They all seem to, to put a much nicer spin on him. You know? Yeah, like Bruce Almighty, right? Like Bruce Almighty or, or, uh, or the Oh God series oh, yeah, with, uh, with George Burns. With George Burns. Or, or the sequel, Oh God, You Devil. Or, or even uh, Kevin Smith's Dogma, where the angels certainly oh, yeah. end up doing a bunch of yeah. badass stuff, but God just shows up. It's as, Alanis uh, Morissette. Alanis Morissette, and yeah. it's all nice and kind. And that's true. It's kind of like pirate movies, wounds. right? You know, pirates always seem to take <laughs> an air of levity, as we all know from our pirate episode. Yeah. Yeah. Well, who's a, when, Where have we seen like a badass god? Certainly not in that episode of The Simpsons where Homer uh, stops going to church and <laughs> yeah. his house burns down. Oh, I know. <laughs> I don't know. I can't think of one off the it's top of my so head. It's just so boring. I mean, of course, there's a it's million. It's that reverend. There's a million movies that have a badass Satan, you know, as it should be. Yeah. Uh, like the the Constantine, terrible movie, the Keanu Reeves yeah, adaptation I've of Yeah, i watched most the, of that. Well, <laughs> if you only watch the first three quarters, then you missed out on the reason to watch the movie, which is the final sequence where Satan shows up, played by Peter Stormare. Oh, yes. Who's one of the bad guys from the Fargo movie. He's there. uh, He's in a bunch of Coen Brothers films. Yeah, absolutely. He's the one who put um, Steve Buscemi in the wood chipper for all those out there who don't know. And he's one of the uh, the nihilists in In the Big Lebowski. Lebowski. Absolutely. Absolutely. In in Deuteronomy. That's going to be my new nickname for the Big Lebowski. (laughs) I just decided right here and now. That's what I'm going to start calling that movie. It'll be the writings of the dude. Yeah. 
Deuteronomy. <laughs> exactly. Whatever he writes on. But uh, no, but no God in uh, Constantine. In Constantine, but uh, Peter Stormare shows up as the devil. And it's, uh, honestly, people could rent the DVD, skip all the way to the final sequence, right. and that might actually be worth sitting through the whole rest of the film. Oh, I might do that then. Yeah, just skip right to the end. It. Don't 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 watch the rest of the movie. It's terrible. But when Peter Stormare appears, doesn't that movie fantastic. have a shotgun with holy bullets or something like that? Well, it's a shotgun in the shape of a cross. Oh. <laughs> and so it's like the bullets are blessed as they come out of the end of the gun. Yeah, it's like an automatic shotgun too. So it's rapid fire. Now, Tom, what have you got there? Testament. Role-playing in the biblical era, published by uh, our good friends at Green Ronin Publishing in Seattle. I actually did an illustration in this book. A single illustration. It looks blasphemous. <laughs> You've read the book. That is being the Old Testament. The, the good book. Now play the game. You can... So this is basically a supplement for Dungeons & Dragons. When it was put out, it was D D20 system. But now they have a revised uh, version for the third mm. era, I think they're calling it. Uh-huh. Um, so you could play a Levite priest, a champion of Israel, a prophet. You could play a desert hermit. Is there a spell that summons two bears, two she-bears? <laughs> from the woods? To, well, for summon she-bears? The slaying of children only, though. There's a spell called Contagion. This is just the C. Just in the C's <laughs> here. Contagion, curse unto generations, and cramps. <laughs> oh, hold on. Cramps. Curse unto generations. Seriously. What does curse unto generations mean? Yeah, I gotta know what curse <laughs> unto generations We need to hear the effect. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you have to be a cleric level 8 or sorcerer wizard level 9. Uh-huh. Uh, the components are verbal and somatic. It takes one action to cast. The target is creature touched and members of same gender of family. Uh, the duration is permanent. You can, make a saving, you can make a will saving throw to negate the effect of the spell. Uh-huh. Mm. The caster places a curse on the person touched. The victim is marked as cursed, a condition that is evident on a spot check, DC 20. <laughs> <laughs> for a male victim, this curse affects him, his brothers, and his sons, and his son's male offspring for four generations. For a female, it affects her sisters, her daughters, and her daughter's female offspring for four generations. In addition to receiving the mark, on every new moon, each cursed victim must make a will save. Uh, if this has failed, he suffers a penalty on attack rolls, saving throws, ability checks, and skill checks, and is perceived by others as exhibiting wild behavior. These effects last until the next new moon, when another will save is rolled. Snap. That's a gooder. <laughs> that is a way to really screw a dude up. But an individual can only be the subject of one cursed uh, unto generation spell. Oh, so you can't you can't use cumulative curses. <laughs> curse Just you. to say that he's, he's covered in, in the mark. I right? curse you again. <laughs> I curse you again. I wave my naughty parts in your auntie's face. I curse in your general direction. So, so in D20 terms, curses don't stack. I guess not. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, so I recommend uh, checking this out. Testament. Have you played in the biblical era? Have you played it yourself, Tom? By Scott Benny. I have not played it myself. Scott Benny is actually a local boy. He's uh, from Abbotsford, British Columbia. Is that is I, it the same I, Scott Benny? Are you sure? He's a gamer and uh, right. He's writes. He worked for Interplay. Uh, uh-huh. Wrote that uh, old Star Trek uh, video game. Well, props to Scott Benny. Yeah. Any uh, Old Testament style video games that we know about? What about mm. that? God, what about that uh, video game where you could play a god? Was that like, was that Civilization or was that something else? No, you not had, Civilization. You, you played um, um, played... Populous. Populous, and then there was also could you create uh, black and white. Could you create plagues and stuff like that over your? People yeah, and... not a, you would you would put plagues on other people's uh, mm. followers. Ah, uh, yeah, curse them for not burning towns in your honor. Ritual sacrifices. Yeah. If you look at say the Matrix series of movies, the architect was kind of a dick. 
You know, he knew that world mm. was running amok and just sat and watched it on TV. <laughs> An angry drunk might do that. The architect was the only redeemable part about the second and third uh, Matrix movies. Actually, I'm going to disagree. Uh, there's a scene that I just really, really love, and it's a, uh, it seems like an almost throwaway scene. I think it was in the, the first sequel where he's in the train station or the subway station, mm-hmm. and he's just waiting. Neo's there, and there's the uh, program there who's played by an East Indian actor, and he just gets into a conversation with him, and he talks. The program talks about his his wife and his children, and how he loves them. And Neo says, "Are you capable of doing that? Can you love?" And love is just a word. It's used to describe a certain interaction. And I th- felt that that was a really cool little philosophical uh, scene that I, I loved it. I don't recall it. Shows you how memorable it was to me. Yeah. But uh, the architect, the, I guess there, maybe that's that one sole example that we have of the God character being a total dick. I, I can't think of any others. Anybody else around the horn? Wow. If you've got any ideas, why don't you uh, leave a comment on the post for this podcast at uh, causticsodapodcast.com. Or, or you can email us at info at causticsodapodcast.com. We don't get nearly enough emails, people. We don't get we, very much. We've had a it's, handful, but... I think people prefer commenting. We're actually getting a decent amount of comments uh, on the blog, and the comments are good because that way other people can see them without a, us having to share them weeks later on the show. True. You can also become a friend on our Facebook page and leave comments for us there. Definitely add us on It's listed Facebook as profile. a TV show on... I don't understand that. It's because when I created the... Uh, the page, you, uh-huh. there's no option for a podcast. You can't make a podcast page. Oh, that's weird. Nope. So Radio I chose, show? So I chose oh. TV show. Because okay. maybe someday. In the future. Caustic <laughs> Soda, the TV show. We won't have to change the Facebook page because it'll already be TV show. Um, yeah. Perfect. I'll, I'll grab causticsodatvshow.com. That was my plan all along. Well, thanks a lot again, Dr. Rob, for coming and uh, setting us straight on the uh, on the biblical uh, well, I think he just, uh, atrocities. He, he added uh, flavor. Brought uh, some knowledge to the table that most of us... It's nice to have some competence on the podcast once in a while. So here's one question. You uh, you uh, were a born-again Christian for how many years? Well, it's uh, sort of numerologically interesting. I became a Christian at 13. I was a Christian for 13 years and deconverted over about 13 weeks. Okay. <laughs> what do you make of that? Lucky number 13. So I guess my only remaining question is then why did you stop? Deconvert. Yeah, well, how did the deconversion How did the deconversion process... Oh. I spent a semester uh, wrangling with dialogues concerning natural religion by David Hume, where he essentially picks apart every argument uh, for the existence of God in uh, fine rhetorical style, but also philosophically devastating style. And at the end of that, I just woke up one morning and said, oh, I, I, I think I'm an agnostic. Oh. That was the beginning of the end. David right. Hume did it in the conservatory with a lead pipe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to beat that religion out of you. So Arthur C. Clarke got me in, David Hume got me out. The science fiction writer got you in, the philosopher got you out. I would have thought it would have been the opposite. Take that. I'm on a horse. <laughs> <laughs>